Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So, if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code, when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This will be something new for the When Dating Hurts podcast. Our guest today is Rosie. She lives just outside of London, England. We connected through email. She had heard of my daughter Kristen's tragedy and wanted to say how hearing about it affected her. She also wanted the opportunity to tell her own story of abuse. So Rosie, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you. I'm really, really pleased to be here and thank you so much for having me. I really recently discovered your story and your podcast and yeah if you'd said a couple of weeks ago that I was gonna get the chance to have a chat with you um yeah I really appreciate it thank you I'm so glad that you stepped forward and then I asked you if you would come on and you would speak with me today and kind of tell your story and you know I've just found so many times that victims and survivors who are ready to tell their stories help out other victims and survivors by doing that it's not always women but for the most part it is, and it's a real sisterhood of helping each other. And a lot of people that tell their stories will come back later and say, you know, it was so cathartic to tell my entire story to you. And I feel like it's out there and it'll help people. And that's really, I think, why you're here today. So I appreciate that. So I grew up just outside of London. My childhood, it was overall, it was a happy one. I suppose like anyone, we had hard times. I've been through, I've had quite a lot of therapy so I'm really conscious of trying not to minimise my experiences. But my my mum and dad divorced when I was five. Okay. And my dad was a very inconsistent presence in our life after that. You mean he was around a lot, then he wasn't? So we were meant to see him at certain times and sometimes he wouldn't show up and then we wouldn't see him for weeks or months and then he would randomly show up. I remember once he randomly showed up at Christmas with loads of presents and we literally hadn't seen him for six months. Oh. When, when he was there, what was he like? I can't remember much about before they got divorced. Yeah, so you're very young. Yeah, and I think I had built up more of an idea in my head as to what kind of dad he was than to the dad he actually was because now that I'm older and I, I know a lot more about him and his life, I don't think he ever wanted to be a dad. Okay. He He wasn't violent, he wasn't unkind outwardly but he treated my mum really badly he wasn't very nice to my mum at all but I think we were shielded from a lot of that she never tried to make us form a certain opinion of him um it's only now didn't demonize him too much yeah exactly and I actually used to get angry with my mum because I remember them arguing about whether you know my mum would say you know if you're going to see them you need to be consistent and then after those arguments we wouldn't see him for weeks and I remember Mm. being like every time he comes here you cause an argument and then we don't see him and I blamed my mum for that whereas now I know that wasn't her fault and she was doing the right thing but yeah he wasn't very nice to my mum I haven't seen him since I was 12 but I've got an older sister and a younger brother and my brother was a baby when he left there's five years between me and my brother so he was a baby when my dad left. Oh yeah, of course. 
And I know that when he was about 17, he met up with my dad and kind of came back and was like, not impressed. Oh. And he said that he said a lot of things about our mum and basically blamed my mum for everything. Sure. And I said, well, what he forgets is that me and my sister are old enough to remember and actually a lot of it wasn't the way he said. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the last contact any of us have really had with him. Do you think he's still alive? I don't know. Do you know, that's weirdly enough, that's something that me and my sister were talking about a few weeks ago because we have brother and sister from my dad's first marriage. Oh, okay. And he did exactly the same thing to them that he did to us, which I think really helped me, especially when I was older, realize, okay, the problem wasn't us. Because when I was younger, I felt like it was my fault. Okay. Yeah, that happens often. Yeah. And then we got into contact with my half-brother and sister. Yeah, he'd done exactly the same thing to them. And that, that helped me a lot. I think I came to terms with it. But I mean, you must really come out of it admiring your mother. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like I say, there was... So I would say when I was about... When I was a teenager, probably about 15 onwards, I had a lot of anger towards my mum. And I really blamed her for a lot of things. And for a couple of years, our relationship wasn't great. And I know that when we were growing up, she did have a lot of mental health struggles. Her mood, sometimes it felt like we were walking on eggshells because she was never like physically violent, but she could kind of blow up at something. It's kind of snap. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, now I'm older, I understand it a lot more. But at the time, I remember she used to be like that with us. And then with other people, she'd be, I suppose, putting on a front. But I saw it as, you're so unhappy with us. But for everyone else, you're happy. And I just, yeah, I had a lot of anger towards her. But I know that things were tough. We didn't have money. And my nan and granddad on my mum's side, I think if we didn't have them, there was a point we were homeless. And um, after my dad left and we kind of, my mum lost the house and everything because my dad, something I found out later, lied about how much he earned. So he was only giving my mum £7.29 a week for all three of us. Because he's, a, you know, in London, the black cabs. So he's a black cab driver. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're self-employed. So he lied about what he earned. So, that so he, he was probably more. doing rather well. He was definitely doing well because a few years after we stopped talking to him, so I would have been about 13, 14, we found out he was living in Spain. He had two houses. Oh. He had a farm in Spain. Yeah. So thing, things <laughs> like that, finding out in hindsight, you're like, what a, what a horrible man got five children that you don't talk to and we were really you know I would say like on the poverty line sometimes when you say homeless what does that look like so I I know you didn't have a home but I mean what was life like where were you living actually this is something I asked my mum about so the way it works in England is to go on it's called like the housing association it's like council housing so it's housing provided by the government okay If we had moved in with my nan and granddad, which we could have, my mum wouldn't have been able to go on that list. And so what we had, my mum had to do was basically declare we were homeless and then we were put in emergency housing. You have like a room, it's basically like one big bedroom, and then you're living in a big building with lots of other families. Mm. So it's me, my mum, my sister, my brother was baby at the time, but you're sharing a bathroom and kitchen with people. That's what I was wondering. I was trying to find a way to ask you that. But it's it's funny because when I look back on that, I think my mum and my nan and my granddad did it in such a way that I don't remember at the time being worried or scared. It was just like, this is where we live. And it was like, oh, we're staying here for a little while. And it was exciting in a way because we lived with lots of other families. And, and even though I know it was really hard for my mum at the time, as a, I must have been about almost six by then, it didn't feel like a, like a terrible situation. And I think that's, you know, like I say, credit to my mum and Nan and sure. granddad. And it was the only thing you knew. Let me ask you, so you kind of hit a rocky place with your mother at around age 15. When did things kind of clear up and when did your relationship become more positive, would you say? I would say, so I went away to university when I was 20. And I think in those few years, so I was away, away I was living in another city for four years. Okay. I really struggled with my mental health and, you know, some like personal issues. And the way my mum helped me, she kind of spoke about her own struggles. And I think because she'd had some issues when we were younger, she understood how I was feeling. And it just okay. really changed my perception of mm-hmm. her. And then we kind of spoke about some things from my childhood. When I was about 26. I started going to therapy and I was kind of talking about things from my childhood. And I, d- I just started looking at them in a different way. And I just had this whole new appreciation for my mum and how difficult things must have been, you know, what she did for us when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm 32 now. My mum is my best friend. 
Oh, good. I'd like to hear that. That's great. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm living. I moved back um, just before the pandemic, just before lockdown. My plan was to move out again. Quite, quite happy living with my mum. So. <laughs> so you're reunited. It wasn't like me and my mum were constantly. I always had. It was kind of like an underlying anger that I had with her. And then when we would have disagreements about small things, I would blow up but really I was angry about other things yeah it's understandable you know she's like the first person I go to now when things are are difficult actually I would say it's kind of my mum's what she's instilled in us in terms of self-assurance and and mm-hmm. I, I would like high, higher self-esteem yeah like I would credit her a lot with confidence definitely and and with with me being able to recognize when I wasn't being treated mm-hmm. the way I should be. But she she did it in such a subtle way because obviously one of the worries when someone is in, in an abusive relationship is alienating them. Yes, of course. That's right. And it's only when I look back now. And she she's never really told me in detail, but I, I wonder, you know, what kind of went on with my dad. Yeah, that was possibly her practice for what was coming in your life yeah definitely oh and sorry I just remembered that the question you asked was if I thought he was alive yes Uh, so me and my sister were talking about that and she got a strange message from our half-sister it was just very out of the blue you know we're not in contact that often and we were kind of saying like do you think he's died or do you think something's happened but it's awful to say but I was saying to my sister I was like I have no desire to find out like I'm not really Either way, mm-hmm. it doesn't really mm-hmm. make a difference to me. And, you know, if, right. I, if we were to talk to him and he was ill, like, why would I go there and see him? I think he's the kind of person that will never own up to his behavior. He'll never take responsibility for it. So, so yeah. So often we find that concentrating on today and tomorrow does a lot more good than concentrating on yesterday and decades ago and trying to make sense out of that. Definitely. Because I don't know, you just, you can't do much about your past. You can do a lot about your future. And I think you've taught yourself that and maybe your mom helped out with that too. So that's a beautiful thing to, to get to that place and, and know what you can really affect and kind of run the, run the gamut with him. Definitely. And like my, my older sister and my half brother and sister, they all have children. So my half brother and sister have two children each and my sister has three and another one on the way. So it's like four, six, eight. So he has eight grandchildren and five children that he never sees and he doesn't get to feel any of that joy or happiness or have any of that love. And I, I wouldn't even say I feel sorry for him. It's just more like, okay, if if that's what you'd rather, if you'd rather live the, the life you're living and not have any of this, then that's, that's your choice. Yeah, he has a lot of beginnings, but he doesn't follow up. You're right. Yeah, definitely. You had a relationship with somebody. So we met when I was 19. We met at a party. Now, this is Andrew? Is that Andrew, who this yeah. Is? Yeah, we'll call him Andrew. We knew of each other. So when I was younger, I went to two secondary schools. When I was about 14, I transferred to a new school. Andrew was someone that went to my first school that I went to. Would that be secondary school? Is that another way of saying high school for us? So, yeah, so secondary school... I think for, for you, it's middle and high school. So for secondary okay. school, you go there from when you're 12 to 18, roughly. Okay, I understand. Yeah. I just wanted to get yeah. a picture. Okay. Yeah, so from 12 to 14, I went to one secondary school. And then when I was 14 up till 16, I went to a different secondary school. He went to the first school and we had never spoken, didn't really know each other. How old would you say you were at that time? When we met. Yes. It's just about to turn 19. So I was... <laughs> It's trying to explain the the UK education system. So (laughs) when you're 16, you leave secondary school and you can either stay on and get qualifications to go to university or you can go to college where you might learn a trade or do a course there. So I had left school. I was doing my A-levels, which are like qualifications before you go to university. I had got back into contact with some people that I went to school with, which is how he and I came into contact again, got invited to a party and he was there and we knew of each other, but had never spoken and just got talking at this party, got each other's numbers. And this was, this was in 2009. So when MySpace was 
the big thing and uh, I had oh that's yeah, right MySpace yeah. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that one yeah and um <laughs> I'd added him on MySpace like months before even though we didn't really know each other I suppose I kind of made a beeline for him like I did quite like what I had seen of him and I I knew of him and I thought he was uh, nice and quite funny and yeah so at the party I kind of went over and was like hi and we were just talking. So you made a good a good appearance even physically I mean did you feel yeah I just I just thought he was I, I just was interested in him his tendencies for being emotionally abusive were strictly in romantic relationships there was none of that outside he was a real charmer with everybody else yeah and not even I wouldn't even say he was particularly charming he was a nice person. He was quite quiet. Oh, okay. And he was funny. Part of what kept me in this on-off situation for so long is that we had a lot of mutual friends. So it was hard at times to get away from, to not be in contact with uh, him. If you saw your friends, you'd see him anyway. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be right there. Yeah. And actually a lot of people that I'm still really good friends with now yes. are through him, through through being with him. And yeah. one of my friends actually said to me, I remember after I was sitting at her house and I was kind of, this is one of the times when I was done listing all the reasons why. And she was, and she said, um, oh, he's a really good friend, but he's just not a good boyfriend. What a good summation. Yeah, I completely agree with her now. But at the time I took it as, okay, so the problem is me. The problem is mm. I'm the only one that he treats like this. So the problem must be me. I think something that I've kind of learned as I've been kind of recovering from this and I've had you know friends and family members that have been in not good relationships is a lot of the time we kind of have this idea of what a victim of dating violence is like and that they're yes. quiet and they're a wallflower and you know they do everything right and sometimes it's not true it's that kind of idea of like a good victim and a and a bad victim yes I am not someone that is particularly shy I'm not someone that is I'm quite forthright if I'm annoyed or if I think someone's being unfair and I think because my friends knew me as that it was kind of a oh well it can't be that bad because she wouldn't put up with that right that's a good way to look yeah. at it yes I like that yeah I, I can see what you mean it's like she wouldn't stand for it I think my daughter was the same yeah. way I think most people knowing her would say she'd walk away from that guy yeah early and she didn't and she at the very end she she tried but it was too late i'm just i'm so sorry for what happened oh, to your daughter yeah, and, i appreciate that Thank and, you. Um, i didn't mean to interrupt what you no, were saying no. but i'm just saying there are similarities there and and i think that we do kind of look at this sort of stereotypical abused woman as somebody who just takes the battering and takes there's there's sort of like um I don't know, rather reticent, they're quiet, and things happen to them. And I think what you're projecting is that you're, I think, a very three-dimensional real person yeah. who who lets people know how she feels. And that's why people thought, well, you will you know when to draw the line and, you, and you'll push back when you have to. Yeah, and I, and I did that a lot with him. There were times when he behaved in ways that were not appropriate and, in, you know, humiliated me. And I called him up on it or I broke up with him because of it or I would go back to the city that I was at university in and I wouldn't talk to him or we'd, you know, that would be it, that we'd be done. Mm -hmm. So he had an ex-girlfriend who we'll call Lily. I think they had broken up a few weeks before I met him at the party. Okay. I knew they weren't together anymore. She didn't really come up in conversation until we had started casually kind of dating and seeing each other. And she was always calling him. And I remember saying, like, what's going on? Because, you know, if that's still going on, I don't want to be involved in something like uh -huh. that. Sure. Right. Smart. He was like, no. And she had a reputation with his friends. They all used to call her like a psycho and crazy. And she didn't leave him alone. And even his mum had said, like, oh, I don't like that girl. And now that I know her a bit better and I know the situation a bit better, I recognise that he was doing exactly to her what he had done to me. Mm -hmm. I think she was a year or so younger than us and he played on that. And I think it was the same for her as for me. He was our first proper boyfriend. Okay. Um, so I was 19, but I'd never really had a boyfriend. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't know that a lot of the things he did or said weren't okay. So Rosie, can you kind of give us some ideas of what he was actually doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've kind of talked about how it felt in a lot of yes. ways, but can you give us an idea of you know, what a day in the life with this Andrew would be like? You know, what is he doing and what do you think he was 
trying to accomplish, let's say. I think a lot of it was trying to make me insecure. So I think, because I wasn't a particularly insecure person, I think his ex-girlfriend nearly was. So I think his tactics with us were different. With me, it was kind of like planting the seed of something. An example would be, it's going to sound so silly, which I guess is why it took me so long to recognise it, but it would be like talking down about the things I enjoyed. So like my music taste was rubbish. I He would talk about like a girl that he thought was attractive and how I didn't look like her, but in like a very mm. kind of, so I had really red hair at the time and he was talking about how much he likes girls with black hair. And then one of the things I did when we broke up was I dyed my hair black. How about that? Yeah. That was, uh, that was your way of thumbing your nose at him, I guess. A going away present for him. A right? little bit. So one of the big things when we first got together was the presence of his ex always kind of hovering in the background. And he was always saying, um, I don't speak to her anymore. I don't talk to her anymore. I don't know why she's calling me. Yeah, so his ex called about 3am and yeah, and I was like, give me the phone. And he was like, no, I don't know why she's calling. She put the phone down when he answered because she heard me. And he was saying, I haven't spoken to her for months. I don't know why she's calling me or this kind of thing. Now, let me ask you something very quickly. Did it occur to you at that moment to say, well, I think you need to change your number? No, it didn't. It didn't. Okay. I was just right. like, you need to, I think I said like you need to block her number or like, yes. in the end I was like, because... I didn't know her, but we had friends in common. And I was like, yes. if she carries on, I'm, you know, I don't understand. And she had been, I'd been hearing from people that she had been saying that he and I were, you know, sleeping together when they were trying to get back together. And I was the reason. And obviously I'd heard from so many people, like his friends, even people that weren't necessarily friends with him, that, oh, she's a bit unhinged is the word I remember someone using. So I was like, okay, she's obviously like a crazy ex-girlfriend that like won't leave him alone. And then one time he called me her name by accident. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, so that wasn't great. So I was very paranoid because he was insisting they had never spoken. Yet. So I was like, I don't really understand. So anyway, so this is what I was talking about when I said about not being like a perfect victim is that at a party, I actually did go and confront her. And I said like, what is your problem? Like, I know for a fact you weren't together when I started seeing him and, you know, I just said some not very nice things and it did end up with me and her kind of giving each other a shove, which is something I'm not proud of. And then I remember going home and he was so angry with me and he was like, I can't believe you did that. Like calling me embarrassing, like saying I was a psycho just like her. And I was like, I've had months and months of like this rubbish. Nicely put. Yes. And I don't understand what's happening. Do you think he was seeing her at the same time he was seeing you? Well, I found out much later after I did a bit of snooping that he had been talking to her the whole time. Okay. He said he never cheated. She has told me, and I'm more inclined to believe her since I've you know, kind of had a chat with her. What that showed me is that he had a pattern and she was kind of written off as, oh, she's crazy, she's, she's this, she's that. And I was like, actually, I think that he was doing a lot of the same kind of like, it's like death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? The same kind of chipping away. Yes. And she maybe couldn't regulate her emotions around it the way that I could. Or the way, the way that I did. So this was when we were first together. This was about, so if we were about nine months, we were together. One day he just broke up with me, just out of the blue. Didn't really have a reason, just said he didn't want to be obligated to a relationship. It was literally like I left the room to have a shower and we were fine, came back in and he broke up with me. Okay. And I was kind of asking him like, what has happened? And he wouldn't, he was just like nothing. And I think that's when the first time we broke up is when my self-esteem started to plummet a little bit. Because we'd had months and months of all this rubbish with his ex. But besides Lily, besides the ex, wasn't he playing a lot of other mind games with you? Do you feel? In the first time we were together, not really. It's okay, as it... so the first nine months was just Lily kept darting in and yeah, out. Yeah, it was like, day. this is the only... The only problem is that we, he has an ex that won't leave him alone. Okay, all right. And then... So you and he break up, and then, then what? How long do you go before you're back with them? About seven months, but at this time we were still, like, he was still coming around. He was still telling me we were going to get back together. He would kind of leave me alone for a few weeks and I'd start to move on. I remember once he actually saw that I was out with someone and that's when he came back and told me he wanted to get back together. He couldn't handle that. Yeah, and I found that if I ignored his texts or didn't really speak to him, he would pursue me and then as, sorry, and then as soon as I gave him a little bit back, he would, I wouldn't hear from him again. 
And then at this point, it was just before I went off to university and I had been like planning to put university off for a year and that kind of thing because I was in this relationship. And then I was like, no, I'm going to go. And I didn't know if we were getting back together or not. And again, it was, like I say, those mind games are very subtle. I had no experience of having broken up with someone on this scale. So I was like, I didn't really know what was normal and what wasn't. So I went to university and within, I think, two or three weeks of me being there, Mm -hmm. he was like, I'm coming to visit. I'd had a great first, we call it Freshers Week here. I don't know what they call it in a... (laughs) <laughs> and we don't call it that no, but it's <laughs> I don't know you're what a... we call it but it's <laughs> yeah. not Freshers Week yeah, yeah so Freshers Week is the first week you're there and there's lots of parties and it's really fun and I was living in like a mixed mixed accommodation um, does, so that I had... mean, does that mixed means co-ed? I, what does co-ed mean? well co-ed means males and females in the same yeah. building yeah we had our own room and then but I had male and female roommates well not we had yes yeah, so we had our own room but there was five of us in our apartment like a, okay I understand yeah. what you mean. and there was two men and three women we were the only apartment that had a balcony and my really good friend was living in a building across the road so I had kind of the friends that I'd made in my building and then the friends I'd made in his building yeah I almost forgot I was there to learn and I remember going to my first lecture and being like oh I've actually got to do work yeah, um, why do I have to sit in this room for so long it's uh, detracting from my fun yeah exactly and uh, yeah no so I was telling my friends at home like how much fun I was having I was really enjoying it and it word obviously got back to him and then I got a call that he was coming he was coming to visit me like it wasn't a can I come he was coming by the time he left we were back together he had said a few things about he didn't outright say like oh I heard that you slept with someone else but he kind of alluded to it like oh you're here having fun with people and like I'm at home thinking about you like that kind of Mm-hmm. stuff yeah now he's going for sympathy go ahead yeah we were together then for about six months the whole time there was always I wasn't answering my calls quick enough I wasn't texting back quick enough right he wants immediate yes. yeah who am I with and then when I came home for the Christmas break we had an argument I can't even remember what something that I had done I think it was it's something that I had done about when I'm at uni I don't you know I don't check in with him enough and while he was How out, much do you think would be enough in his mind? Would it be hourly or would it be daily? What would it be? Even if we had spoken what I felt like was a lot that day, he still wasn't happy. Okay. Again, coming back to that, I wasn't changing what I was doing. I was still going out and having fun. Mm-hmm. I was just getting a lot of like rubbish. From, sorry, I keep going to swear, but rubbish from him about... You can use any word you'd like. Yeah, thank you. He'd accuse me of, oh, you know, how do I know you're not going out and cheating on me and that kind of thing. And I was a bit like, all I can do is tell you I'm not, like I'm not. And then he went out the room and I don't know what, I just thought he is being very, almost like specific in what he's accusing me of. Like I was like, why is he jumping from I've gone on a night out to I'm like sleeping with my roommate? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just looked on his phone and there was nothing in his inbox. And I was like, okay, because I thought like, oh, he's texting other people. And then, but what if he's deleted them? So I went through his sent box and there were, so he deleted all the messages sent to him, but he hadn't thought to delete the messages in his sent box. Right, the ones he sent. So there were so many messages to girls I knew, girls I didn't know. And I was reading them through and I was like, oh my God, if someone messaged me this, I like it came across quite creepy and obviously I didn't know what the girls were saying back to him so all I was seeing was his messages so when he came back in the room I was like the absolute cheek of you to accuse me of speaking to other people and sleeping with other people I was like and you've actually gone out of your way to like delete messages but you're not clever enough to delete the sent messages so that was a big row but it was I only do it when you're not replying to me. I only speak to other girls when I haven't spoken to you enough and uh, nothing yeah, ever happened. Yeah. They they weren't like my friends or anything, but there was one girl I was like, I know her well enough to like this must be really awkward for her. And obviously I don't know what she's saying back. But then as outspoken as I was, I it was like, Oh, you know, I am away and I am living with and spending a lot of time with, you know, men, even though like not in the capacity he was thinking, mm-hmm. just in like mm-hmm. friendship yeah. groups. So I did kind of internalise it and I did blame myself. I went back to uni and I was like, okay, but when I go back, I want all your passwords for Facebook and everything. I actually stopped going out as much. 
I spent a lot of time looking through his Facebook, looking through and just getting into my head about who he was talking to and what mm-hmm. he was doing. And I didn't find anything because like he did stop. And then it, he just broke up with me one day. He was like, I can't live my life. You're always calling me. You're always doing this. You're always doing that. And I was like crying. And, and I just remember thinking like, why am I not enough for him? Like, why does he always have to talk to other people? And then my friend, my friend at university kind of sat me down and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you letting him? She was like, he's like 70 miles away. Like, let him go and do whatever he's doing. She was like, you don't have to put up with the way he's treating you. She basically said, you're here having, we're having such a good time and you're letting him ruin it. So the story is like that all the time. We broke up, we, you know, we got back together. So mm-hmm. I broke up with him. Yes. He had broken up with me. My friend sat me down. Yeah, so then I was like, okay, okay, Andrew, like, we're we're done. And then he wanted to get back together. He didn't want to break up. But at that point, I was like, no, I'm here having fun. I can't spend all my time thinking about what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, that kind of thing. seems like the thread running through this is that when you have the relationship, he kind of messes it up and he's contacting other people and dancing all over the place. And then when you say goodbye, then all of a sudden you're the most important person in his life and he wants to get back and I'll kind of do anything. Yeah, exactly. So it's never good. You know, when you're with him, it's not great. And then when you're trying to shake him off and go live your life, then you have to deal with the backlash from him and and all of his pulling on you again. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, definitely. And this was the pattern for like years. I would say it was in my, about halfway through my second year of uni, where we were done and I actually got into another relationship and it kind of showed me like, oh, okay, this is not, that was not what a relationship should be. And even though that didn't work out, it taught me a lot. And, you know, I was on good terms with that ex and that kind of thing. And then it was when really not until I moved back home when, so I'd been away for about four years that we again got into this pattern of getting back together and breaking up. And it was exactly the same thing of I was still finding messages on him on his phone from other girls he'd actually had a relationship with one of the girls he was messaging when we were together something I found out later is that he told her we broke up because I cheated on him okay yeah all this all this kind of thing he had tried to like sleep with one of my friends and she had been like absolutely not and he said oh I forgot you're such good friends like he forgot (laughs) in that case you know let's call it off just ridiculous Yeah. And again, it was more of the, okay, we're seeing each other. Oh, maybe we could have a relationship. And then when it started getting to that point, he would be like, no, I don't want a relationship with you. And and I tried so many times to not go back to him and not have contact with him. But again, because of the social circle we were in, like it got to a point where every time someone arranged something, he would message me and be like, are you going? And then I would be like, yeah, but it's like, I'm fine if you're there. Like we don't have to speak to each other. And then he would start to be like, oh, oh, and, and I just feel... I just feel like uh, I can't go out now and have fun with my friends anymore. You know, that that was my fault. That was all my fault. I was holding him back from being able to go out with his Mm -hmm. friends and all that kind of thing. I mean, we even like, we went on a trip. There was about seven of us and he and I were both there and it was fine. At that point, we were, I guess, friends. Now I'm talking about it. It's kind of, it's a very like convoluted. It was very together, not together. We had a gap of like two years where we weren't together. And then once I moved back home and it just kind of all went back to how it was. And then I suppose the final straw, and this is when I was like, I am done. And I've like, I've never really spoken to him since was in an Mm -hmm. argument. He accused me of forcing him to have sex with me. Remember, I was absolutely mortified. I couldn't. I couldn't think about the incident he was talking about because at this point we'd been seeing each other, but we hadn't we hadn't really slept together. We'd just kind of been spending time together. And I was like racking my brains and, and I remember messaging my friend and I was crying and I was like, oh my God, like I don't know when this happened and this kind of thing. And she was like, listen, she was like, there is absolutely no way that that happened. And then we kind of went through the dates and she was like, you what? You weren't even at his house the day he's saying it happened. Oh, boy. So he was saying after a night out, we'd gone home and that I had forced him. And then I was really upset because in the message he was, so he had messaged me about, oh, you're going out. Are you going to this party? And I was like, yeah. And I kind of lost my temper with him. And I was like, stop messaging me every time there's a social outing. Like, I don't want to talk to you before. I don't want to talk to you there. Like, you go or don't go. I don't really care. So then he got really annoyed and was like, oh, I can't even go out with my friends without worrying if you're there. And you know what you did. 
and I was saying like what did I do this whole relationship I've actually been trying to be the person you want me to be and like that kind of thing and um yeah and then and then he said what he said the thing the that thing didn't that didn't happen, happen anyway. because I myself have been sexually assaulted and he knew that and that was something that I had told him it happened in a, a period when we weren't together and I was really really struggling with it at the time was was this with somebody you didn't know or is this someone who so just attacked you this is that someone that know? I went on a date with and so the plan was that he was going to go home after the date but he got really drunk this yeah this other yeah guy. and and I was like okay yeah you can stay at mine but I had work the next day so I was like you can stay at mine and then I woke up in the night and he was like having sex with me and okay. that was in my last year of university and I was having right. a lot of trouble with it i bet you were that's horrible yeah that's really and horrible especially because of the situation of someone i went on a date with and he was staying at my house and you know you kind of have all that did i invite right. what, what did i do to have this happen to me yeah yes. yeah yeah so i was i was struggling with that a lot and sure you were that is something when we were together i was quite open with him about so to think that i may have done something no, that with similarities to what happened to you would be really putting it on pretty strong on you yeah yeah so I was devastated I remember sitting at home and I messaged a friend of ours that was mutual and he didn't reply to me for ages so in my head I was like oh my god everyone hates me everyone thinks I'm a rapist everyone thinks uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right I can see that and then he messaged back a little bit late and he was like no I was just asleep like what the hell is going on and it's funny because I was like oh god this is I don't want to be like not believing a victim all of my friends were like that did not happen like even obviously they weren't there or anything but they were like we we know that didn't happen and one of our mutual friends actually rang him and was like what are you doing like why are you like it's gone too far now because again they were aware of like the kind of things that were going on between us I think this really brought it home to them that he is a completely different person when we're not mm-hmm. there and then I just messaged him and I said look can you just I was like, I need to know like what happened. And he said, I made it up. Like he actually said, I made it up. At least he admitted to it, but the damage was done, right? Yeah. But I was like, are you saying that because you don't want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Like, right, are you that's saying true. that? Yes. Yeah. And he was like, no, I, I knew that that would hurt you. So I made it up. Yeah. That was a good weapon to use on you. Yeah. yeah. And I said to him, like, I don't, I don't ever want to speak to you again. Yeah. It's unforgivable. And then after that, I didn't really speak to him. A couple of times he tried to message me and I just ignored him. And I remember talking to our mutual friend and I said, that's the lowest of the low, like the worst thing he could have done to me ever. Yes. Something I have forgotten to talk about, I've just realised, is there was one instant of physical violence. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it was one of the times when I was at uni, but I was back visiting and I can't actually remember if we were together or not, but we were arguing about things I'd found on his phone and and he started crying and I kind of did a like (laughs) like one of those laughs and I was like I can't believe you have the cheek to cry I was like after everything you've done Mm. I was like I want you to like go I want you to we're in my room I was like I want you to leave my house and then I kind of laid down on my bed with my face away from him and I was like okay he's gonna leave Mm -hmm. like whilst I'm gone because also this is gonna sound horrible but like I did want to laugh because I was at a point where I was like, I can't believe you're crying after everything you've done. And then he kind of said, like, why the fuck are you laughing? And he picked up the pillow. It was like one of those, you know, like one of those big square kind of throw pillows. Yes. He picked it up and he hit me on the face with it. Yes. And I kind of sprung up and I was like, he'd never, ever, never before. He'd never pushed me, never. He'd been very like... um He'd been quite hurtful with words, but never physically violent. And I was Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. I was shocked. And I was just like, you need to get out of my house now. And I went, no one was in. And I left my room and I went into my brother's room. And there's kind of like a corner where even if the door's open, you can hide behind it. So I kind of hid around there and I heard him leave. But I had like a tiny bit of blood on my nose. And I just remember being like, I'd never had that happen to me. I'd never been hit in the face before. Yeah, that's shocking. That's shocking. And I remember when I went back to uni and that was a time when I went back and we weren't together and people were kind of asking, oh, what happened with you and Andrew? It's really weird. I think like for a couple of weeks I was in shock and I just kind of said to people like, oh, he hit me. So we broke up. Like I just said it. 
but I didn't say with a pillow. I, I told one friend, and I remember actually being embarrassed, like, how can I call it violence? Or, because I remember some uh, one this friend saying to me, well, that's like domestic violence. And I remember, and I was like, but he hit me with a pillow. I was like, it's not like he hit me with a pillow. Mm-hmm. It's not like he hit me. And I was kind of justifying it, yes. even though I was really angry with him. Even now, I'd look back and I'm like, I don't know. I'd, I'd look back and I'm like, what was that almost? I mean, he hit you hard enough that your nose would bleed. So he must have hit you pretty hard. Yeah, I think it's because it was one. It wasn't like a, you know, like a soft bed pillow. It was like a decorative yes. pillow. You got to feel that for a while. So I kind of just said not to I wasn't just walking around the streets of the city I was in saying oh he hit me but like when people I was friends with asked me I would just say oh you know we had an argument and he hit me so I think we're done but he was like oh did he punch you or did he slap you and I was like what difference does it make and he was like well one's worse than the other it did it felt serious and like like you say like the fact that I had like a bloody nose and and that kind of thing. But that was the one time ever. He never, never before that and never after that. And, you know, we inevitably did end up getting back together not long after that. And that was my one. I was like, if you ever, ever put your hands on me or hurt me in any way, like I'm done. So that was my line. But for somebody to do that, it's kind of a, it's a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. Let's call it. Because next time it probably wouldn't be a pillow there. Yeah, exactly. It's a threat of violence, if not violence. Yeah, definitely. And I, I understand that now, but I remember at the time just being like, I mean, you think of like a pillow fight kind of thing, don't you? Even those can get bad. Yeah, and I have to say that after that, even when we were arguing and even when, you know, he, he'd he made me feel, I would say it was much more, on the whole, emotionally abusive and, you know, trying to make me feel bad for essentially things that he had done. So whether or not he he always said he didn't actually physically cheat on me and I chose to believe him and I haven't chosen to find out whether or not that's true because at this point it mm. doesn't matter mm-hmm. but it was me always I was being accused of that kind of thing I remember at one point being worried that someone put up a picture of me and a, a friend from uni and I was worried that he would see it and think you know that that kind of thing whereas it was completely yeah. innocent yeah. and actually when you look back it was all he was doing all of those things Yes. I suppose, like I said, like death by death by a thousand cuts. and Well, he wanted to control you, but he didn't want you to have anything to say about him and his behavior. Yes, exactly. And is he, even when we weren't together, I was like his, almost, almost like, you know, like an agony aunt, like someone he would come to with all his problems. And, and I remember at one point, I mean, it was bizarre. He was with the girl that he had been messaging when he was with me. They were actually in a relationship. And he tried a few times to message me and was basically saying about, I mean, again, I don't know how much is true because of what happened with Lily, what happened with me. But he was basically saying, oh, you know, I found out she cheated on me. And I was like, why are you messaging me when you have a girlfriend? I was like, you've learned nothing. You're doing the same things. Mm -hmm. So there were incidents like that where I was able to shut it down. But then there were incidents where, you know, I can't even pinpoint the reasons why. It's just sometimes I was more susceptible Mm -hmm. and sometimes, sometimes I wasn't. Did you ever have any instances where he seemed like he was stalking you? It's funny you say that because there was one. Do, do you mean stalking as in like physically following me or? Well, and you know, you can be stalked in a lot of ways too. You can be stalked nowadays electronically. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking physical when I asked. Yes. There was one incident where, I don't know if you remember, again, this is a bit of a throwback, but uh, did you ever have Tumblr? Yes. I think people still use it. It's like a blogging site. Yes. So I had a Tumblr and this was a point when, again, he was with someone that he had been messaging when he was with me. So we had not been in contact for about a year Mm -hmm. and a half and you can send anonymous messages on it. And I had the option that people could send me a message anonymously. I did have quite a few followers on there. So I used to get messages of just like people like responding to posts and asking questions and that kind of thing. Sure. And then, yeah, one day I got, I got this message and I had made this silly little post about a boy that I fancied who worked in the chip shop across the road from my house. It's a chip shop, you said? And like a fish and chips shop. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. French fries. But yeah, chip shop. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> no, and he worked in there. And I remember me and my, it was a bit of a running joke between me and my housemates. Like, oh, should we get fish and chips tonight? And like, Rosie, you go and get them and that kind of thing. And I just made a silly post about it, like, or 
chip shop boys in the I can't even remember what it was chip shop boys in the shop whatever and like a picture of me and my friend like on a mission to go and get some chips like just a silly little post (laughs) and then I got a message and it was like oh don't pursue chip shop boy you should be with someone like me and I was like what the hell I was sitting with my friend and we were kind of like and like writing back and so my responses were public and then but something in the message I was like oh my god it's Andrew like he said something I was like yes very familiar it's Andrew and I remember being really annoyed because I was like how's he found my tumblr first of all Uh because I didn't give it I didn't show it to people that I knew and my friend was like just put I know who you are so I put that as a response I know who you are and then I posted it and within about 30 seconds he had messaged me on Facebook like hi how are you and I was like oh my god yeah really was him and I was like he's scared that I'm gonna tell people that he's messaging me and I just didn't respond to the to the Facebook message I just I just logged out and I was like oh how like how pathetic this is a, a time when we weren't together you know I was calling him pathetic and kind of making fun of him but then a couple of years later we were kind of back together so I mean you have nothing to do with him at this point yeah it's done now I haven't spoken to him in years I think he lives in a different place now. I'm not actually sure last I heard he lived in a different different city I'm not mm-hmm. as close with those mutual friends that we had although I'm still close with a few of them and one of them my really really good friend has actually cut Andrew off completely Mm. I, th- I think part of it after the accusing me of sexual assault I think that did play into it yeah that would do it yeah definitely that really crosses a line or two yeah or three. but I think go- going back to what I was saying earlier about being quite a forthright opinionated person I think my experience can kind of show people how there's no one type of victim and there's no one type of scenario where it's like this happens this happens and this my timeline is very convoluted and I've been kind of jumping back and forth because I forget whether we were together or not together and you know certain incidents and that kind of thing the first nine months were just a good relationship kind of I don't really have the answers for why things after that weren't the same it's possible that the first nine months were actually like the years that followed but you hadn't made discoveries Yeah, I guess, because now I look back and I know that everything he told me about Lily was a lie. And I actually saw her out one night. And actually, she's a really, really sweet person. And I remember thinking if I met her in a different context, I would have really liked her. We're not friends. You know, we would talk if we see each other, that kind of thing. So that was one good thing to kind of come out of it. There's no like animosity between us. And that was something that for actually years afterwards, I was really ashamed and embarrassed about that. I had blamed her to the extent that we had had like an argument and a bit of an altercation in public. So afterwards, when I spoke to her, she was so sweet and gracious that it was just like, I felt even worse. I was like, oh, she's so nice. (laughs) She's such a nice person. So Rosie, if you had the opportunity, and you do, to give some advice to people out there listening to your story, what would you tell them? It's hard to kind of give blanket advice because like I was saying, every situation and every victim is so different and I know some people don't like the word victim but just for the purpose of this I suppose my main advice would be to trust trust what you're feeling because for me there was a lot of being told that I was overreacting or I was paranoid or what I thought was happening was not happening and at every turn at some point I was proved that I was right yeah so trusting your own feelings I think as well, I would say to people on the outside of it, I think a lot of reasons why I struggled to identify as kind of emotional manipulation or emotional abuse, and even now still kind of have to remind myself like it is okay to label it as that. And it is okay Mm -hmm. to label that experience as an abusive relationship. Just because you see someone as strong in some aspects it doesn't mean that they can't experience abuse and it doesn't minimise their experience. I don't think I'm saying anything profound. No, that's fine. People that are abusive in relationships are very different to other people. And that was, again, I think what the part of what kept me in it for so long is that when I would talk about it with friends, they knew him as one person and I knew him as another. And I think it was only really when the very last incident of, of him accusing me of, of assault is when people realised what was going on, people that we were both friends with. Because I had friends outside of that who were very like, like my friend at uni who sat me down and was like, what are you doing? (laughs) 
Well, that's great. And, you know, a lot of people who get into these relationships, these unhealthy relationships, don't tell anybody. They don't talk to anybody. They're embarrassed by it. And they kind of internalize the whole thing. They're not going to talk with their parents about it. They pretty much know their parents are going to say, well, why don't you just dump this guy and move on? What's the big deal here? I mean, one of the things I really admire about your friends is that they stayed friends. Some people get to the point of like, look, you get dumped this guy. I don't want to hear yeah. about him. And if you don't, I'm done with you because I've told you five times, move on, get some space, do something different. And they get frustrated and then they leave. And next thing you know, you're just isolated. You're trying to deal with this whole thing on your own. Your friends didn't do that. That's quite admirable. One of my friends, she's called Hannah. She actually said to me, years after she said every time you like posted a picture or sent me a message about him I wanted to be like but but she didn't which I really appreciate because like you said it is easy to get frustrated with someone who seems to keep going back to a, a bad situation they look at it like why don't you get what's going on and why don't you move on you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you and if I hear about Andrew one more time <laughs> I'm gonna hang up on you yeah and I think the hard thing is as well is that like I did know that it wasn't a good situation you could just keep going even now like years later and I'm in a very happy relationship now and even now when I think about it or like when I was writing my notes and that kind of thing there's still a new perspective something else a different way to look at it so yeah well Rosie we both know that abuse can happen anywhere and it can happen to anyone and even a strong person like you it can grab a hold of you and you try to make sense out of it and you try to make it better and you think if you stay with it and make some do some fine tuning maybe it'll be this relationship you always thought it could be right from the very beginning and we both know that universally there's i feel not enough education out there about this i, I doubt if you ever had a moment in your in your university years or any of your schooling where they had a class if they did they had one and it was done but i know here there are very few classes and parents don't know enough about it. So these things kind of come over you. They kind of take over your life and you don't have any real coping skills about these relationships. You know, you don't get to learn the warning signs and you don't get a sense of what you should do to get out of it safely, maybe create an escape plan for some people who are really physically abused and emotionally abused. They don't have a sense of what it is. They don't know the warning signs. They don't know how to get out of it. And the whole thing is left for them to figure out. And, and a lot of these people are too young to figure it out. And it's dangerous at times. The pillow incident in your case could have been very different, could have been something other than a pillow. I just wanted you to know I appreciate that, that you contacted me and that you accepted my invitation to talk with me today. I know you have something else you want to say, so go right ahead. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk. And it's funny, even as I was sitting here kind of telling stories, and I know there's still, there's things I'll go back, I'll listen back and I'll be like, oh, I should have mentioned this. But it's still hard to talk about. And my situation, I think I said at the beginning that I've, I've been through a lot of therapy and I'm trying really hard not to minimize things. But you do listen to other stories. And I feel lucky that I had the support around me that I had because yes. like we were saying even though going back and forth and people were probably sick of it I never felt like I was alone yes and I never felt like there wasn't anyone that I could turn to and you're definitely right there's not enough education about it there's not enough about especially those subtle ways that people can kind of control you like um I think it's called coercive control yes it is yeah I just really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk and it's really really helped me actually it's kind of helped me make a lot of sense of a lot of things in the past couple of days I've kind of been scribbling notes Good. to prepare but yeah thank you so much and I just going back to what you were saying about if anyone had any if I had any advice yes. um, again listen to what you feel and even if the incident feels small if it's something that hurt you whether it's physically emotionally however it is important and it is something that you know, don't minimize it because you think, well, other people have it worse because... Good insight. Yes. Very good insight. Because I think that's probably what I did quite a lot. And yeah, I, I feel very lucky that I'm in the position I'm in now. You've really learned by it. You have a better relationship going on now. And, and I think that if you ever were to have a relationship that had any semblance of what you had with Andrew, you'd probably cut it off and keep it off rather quickly, speed it up. I did have that experience actually. So I had a, a partner who we, we lived together and 
I mean, things were kind of uh, falling apart anyway, but then we had an argument and he picked up my laptop and threw it across the room. That was it for me. Like that was the beginning of the end. Uh, I moved out and didn't didn't go back. How recently was that, would you say? That was just just before lockdown. So just before lockdown. Early 2020. Oh no, sorry. It would have been earlier than that. About 2019. Okay. I see what you yeah, mean. Okay. 2019. Yes, yeah, so like the year before lockdown. How'd um, your uh, how'd your laptop do when you turned it on the next time? You know, surprisingly, the screen wasn't broken, but there were some loose loose bits. So, yeah, I did end up getting a new one, which he did give me some of the money for. So, oh. I I said to him, he needs to get me a new laptop. So, <laughs> well, you upgraded your life by getting him out of there and upgraded your computer, I would imagine. Yeah, and I think if I hadn't had those earlier experiences, uh, it would have been, oh, well, you know, it wasn't, he didn't hit me, he just threw the laptop. I've read a really interesting, I don't know if you've heard of Lundy Bancroft, who wrote, Why Does He Do That? I think I did, yes. Yeah, so. I think I have that book. Oh, it, I, I mean, that helped me make a lot of sense of, of my experiences. And one of the things that Lundy Bancroft said that he says to victims is, do they ever break their own things? Do they ever break their own property? Do you notice that it's always yours? And he could have picked up anything and thrown it, but it was my laptop and that kind of stuck with me. So when the laptop incident happened, I was like, yeah, it was, he chose to break my item. So, so yeah, that, that experience did help me kind of shut it down. And like I said, I'm in a relationship now where it's just completely different and I think I said in my email to you that in a way that that has been triggering in a way because when I assume there's going to be like an angry response or a response putting me down to something and he doesn't respond that way and then it makes you realize just how not normal the previous experience was right this is what healthy people do yeah exactly you mentioned uh, Lundy Bancroft and I do remember that book and I was just thinking that the people that would do that to someone they are supposedly in a love relationship with, the things they would pull on that person are things they'd never pull on anybody at work. Yeah, you do that, and really, everybody knows about it, and, and you're uh, everything's in a cardboard box pretty quickly. Yeah, and it got, kind of goes back to what I was saying, I think, right at the beginning, when I was saying one of my friends said he's he's a good friend, but not a good boyfriend. Yes, exactly. You find that with, I think, a lot of abusers in that, they would only act that way in that situation. So when they say, oh, I've lo I lost control, how much control did they really lose? Because they wouldn't have done that, like you say, at work or... Yes. I'm sure he wouldn't have picked up a pillow and hit me with it if we were in a room full of our friends. He wouldn't want to be portrayed that way. Yeah, yeah, by exactly. By himself. Thank you so much. I really just, as I was thinking about talking with you, it's the first time I've spoken with somebody outside of the States and... This has been really enlightening in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of things you talked about, I've heard from other people. It doesn't make any difference what country they live in, but I think there's always a lot of learning. And I think that survivors listening to survivors or victims and their families or their bystander friends listening to this conversation, they take a lot away from it. And, you know, if they have a relationship at this moment that has similarities, they have to look at it a little bit differently. They have to look at it like this really could be abuse. I need to know more about it and maybe consider other options. They could be in that first nine months. Yes. Like you were saying, where they really, they don't realize quite what's happening to them. Right. And, and it's that beginning where we miss the warning signs or we dismiss them. We'll say, well, that was a little odd, but okay, you know, let's get back to the fun fairy tale that we're living in. So you have to really kind of maybe look a little harder at the relationships and, and be very careful. Things aren't always the way they appear. Thank you so much. It's been, I feel like I've just had a really long therapy session. I'll be well, sending you so a bill later. Really helpful. <laughs> I'll send it in pounds and pennies. <laughs> I've gotten so much out of this. I'm sure our listening audience has. And if you have too, then this has been a perfect period of time to spend with you. It's really been, been uh, I hate to say a great pleasure because it's not a very pleasurable subject, but it has been rewarding, let's say. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. 
I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play Survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil, all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's BillMitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.